Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We made this. to the second season of Vampire Videos, where we continue to explore 100 years of vampires on film and television, one bite at a time. Remember to follow us on Twitter, at Vamp Videos, for regular updates, information and teases about upcoming episodes. Uh, I'm still Dan Owen, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Hugh McStay. Hello, Hugh. Hey, Dan. How goes it? Good, yeah. You're back again. You've joined me again. You didn't vanish. You could have disappeared, you know. But... When I started this podcast, I felt like a young man. Now I'm just a withered, decrepit husk of a human being, sort of slouched in the corner. <laughs> Of recording podcasts it's, uh, it's a vast improvement though everyone says so you know that's a good thing yeah you need to feast on the virgin blood of somebody <laughs> to rejuvenate yourself no, again Dan we keep going over this I live in Glasgow the, the chances of being able to secure virgin blood in Glasgow is very very slim <laughs> okay no, no virgins up there okay that's fine <laughs> too much information um, okay so we're back um, and the first season we started off with Nosferatu which was the whole kind of point of the podcast really to kind of reflect mm. in a way on 100 years of uh, vampire history since that film came out and yeah. so for this season opener we're going to return again to a more of a vintage offering uh, going way back to 1931 so uh, explain what we have in store yeah um this is uh, this is, uh, this is like a, a monolith in vampire cinema so this week we're going to be having a look at, at the vintage classic that is the todd browning 1931 adaptation of dracula starring the iconic bella lugosi as count and edward van sloan as professor van helsing I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats. 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 Thousands. Millions of them. And this is the first legally filmed version of Bram Stoker's novel. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to our Nosferatu episode will know all about the uh, the ramifications and the difficulties there. So, yeah, a very exciting one, this one. We're on good ground with this one. <laughs> There's no Ill- illegalities mm. with this one. It's all above board. That's good. <laughs> um, so let's open the podcast kit and see who's inside. Oh, it's Tony Black, podcaster and chief of the We Made This Network. Hi, Tony. I bid you welcome. And I never drink. 
wine. <laughs> just in case you were going to offer me a glass, you know, just just wanted to get those two things out there. It's not, not that kind of podcast, Tony, to be honest. We're not that hospitable. <laughs> no, not at all. Hugh's got some Buckfast, have you, Hugh? It's funny you should say that, Dan. I'm actually being the most Glaswegian of Glaswegians that I've ever been. I'm sitting here with a big tall glass of iron brew beside me. So I just thought I'd let you into, the, you know, a little insight into the, the behind the scenes stuff. It's a iron brew made from girdles, as they say, and that keeps me going. <laughs> what do we have to combat that, Tony? What do we have as a national drink? Pims or something? Is that, tea. Is that the English version? Tea. Yeah, it's just tea. tea York, it? Yorkshire tea. Just a cup of tea. I've got, I've got a big cup of tea here, so um, I'm not being very vampiric. Maybe I should have put a drop of blood in there, you know, but there you go. <laughs> Times are tough for me because I've got water. Oh, dear. <laughs> You're in some sort of Eastern European backwater, Dan, yeah. I think, you know, not even a cup of tea. No, cold water, yeah. Tragic. Can't afford to heat it, obviously, now. <laughs> you know, um, but just very quickly, I, I once was uh, lucky enough to do an interview with a, an, an American uh, director and, and actor, Josh Rubin, the, the guy who did the Scare Me and Werewolves Within. Really, really fun. Great time chatting to him. But the first, like, 10 minutes of our interview was taking up with him asking me, what what's in that glass? What What is it? What, what are you drinking? And then she tried to explain what Iron Brew is to an American. It was the most insane <laughs> 10 minutes of interview. I was like, oh, I've got to get some of that over here. I was like, no, no, you really don't, Josh. You really don't. Like, trust me, it's a very, very, very particular Scottish thing. You, you don't want it. No, I've never had Iron Brew. <laughs> your, your intestines will thank you for that, Dan. I would just uh, stick to that, to be honest. Uh, well, we can't talk about Iron Brew and uh, things like that. We have to move on. <laughs> it's a different podcast for that kind of talk. So, um, Tony, you, you've already been on twice. So you're in our um, special club of, of people who've been on here three times now. You're the only member so far. I'm very honoured. Maybe. No, I, I, no, no, it's great. Um, yeah, so we're back for Dracula. And so we already know about your vampire history and things. We can't really go over that. So we can kind of just get into the meat of it um, a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Dracula, 1931. Um, not the kind of movie I don't think many people just kind of put on mm. to be entertained these days, I, I'm, I'm going to assume. You know, it's kind of one of those kind of hallowed historical kind of pieces that maybe you might you watch uh, more to study nowadays, I think, or just to see where kind of certain origins of things came from. Um, not, not that you can't enjoy it. But obviously, with these older films, like like we found with mm. Nosferatu, Hugh, they're obviously old movies, so it's, they're difficult to enjoy in quite the same way as you as you might an eighties or nineties film or, or whatever, yeah. something a bit more modern. But there's always something of value to discover. I always find so. I think that's the case here, especially some of the behind the scenes stuff mm. that we'll get into. So this is a bit of um, scene setting. Then so this is um, Dracula, nineteen thirty one. Obviously, we have uh, Nosferatu already came out, but that was um, it was it was a, a bit naughty, wasn't it? As we've said, so <laughs> they they didn't really get <laughs> the, the right. Yes, to, to, yeah, they didn't get the rights for the uh, novel that they kind of based it on pretty much so they got in a bit of trouble for that so this is uh, a version that came through from Hollywood producer Carl Lamy Jr. he legally required the rights uh, so Universal spent $40,000 at the time uh, to the rights to the novel and the stage plays and everything so they kind of wrapped up Dracula entirely and uh, that proved to be quite a, a useful thing really mm. because they got a lot of mileage out of Dracula and other and monsters around this time um, so they hired a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist Louis Bromfield to uh, write the screenplay. Universal wanted him to do, create something as grand as Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom of the Opera. Um, and his early drafts kind of involved uh, Dracula appearing as an old man initially, and then the blood that he drinks rejuvenates him into a younger form uh, back in London, which is kind of like uh, the way that it goes nowadays. I think that's like the that's, that's a standard way of doing it, isn't yeah. it? But uh, they avoided that because I think it was too expensive with the makeup effects and things. So they they got rid of that. They also got rid of the his idea of having uh, Jonathan Harker travel. To 
central Transylvania as in the novel. Not too sure why they made that change, but a few little differences here. And so they had a, some disagreements. Uh, so he was fired and replaced by a man called Garrett Ford. And he kind of adapted more along the lines of what the stage play already was. So there was a popular stage play playing in Broadway. Uh, and he kind of took a lot of inspiration more from that than the book even. Uh, but he also wove in a few things from Nosferatu. So um, one thing in particular that stands out is uh, when uh, Renfield uh, kind of pricks his finger on a paperclip and his finger starts to bleed and Dracula gets quite excited about that. That is kind of uh, echoing a scene from Nosferatu that Nosferatu had kind of created. So that's the influence I think you can see with mm. Nosferatu, um, which is quite interesting. Um, so I don't want to waffle on too much. We'll get into more of the uh, trivia as we go maybe. But um, So I'll go to you first, Tony. Uh, is this a movie that you'd seen before or is this new to you? And were you excited to revisit it or visit it for the first time? I had seen this before, but not particularly long ago because maybe a couple of years ago I picked up a very cheaply a Universal Monsters 100 Years of Universal Monsters Blu-ray, which has on it Dracula, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein, you know, quite a few up to the early 50s. And it was something ridiculous, like 10 quid. I've got to have this. And I'd been meaning to watch a lot of these anyway for years because they are obviously genuinely seminal for their time groundbreaking pieces of cinema all of these movies they mm. they did things and they were attempting to do things that had never been done in the cinema mm-hmm. before at this at this time so it was always something i wanted to tick off and so i did i watched this uh probably about a year ago actually and there's some really good extras on that blu-ray as well some documentaries and things that were really interesting going behind the scenes with it all and i i found it hard work <laughs> in places um you know no, no nobody can take away how important this film is to american and world cinema really and i'd never dream of doing that and certainly to vampire cinema you know i mean it's it really is one of the foundational stones yeah. of that but from modern eyes it is an artifact i think mm-hmm. and i don't think it's a great piece of cinema in fact i think and i know you'll talk about this i'm sure um but i personally think the spanish version that was filmed at exactly the same time just at night <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> day um, by a different director is much better in terms of visually and in terms of how it's constructed um, which is the film that was almost lost for like 40 50 years and probably very few people know anything about uh, directed by George Melford I think that was so this is fascinating it's important it has so many things that have influenced the the last hundred years of cinema almost but it was it was on the second watch I think I've had it even harder work (laughs) to be honest Um, so yeah I, I am I am very lukewarm on it in that in in that sense okay yeah so you didn't you didn't warm up to it the second time not really if i'm honest <laughs> yeah no that's fine that's fine that's uh, that's gonna be good so now i'm gonna go to hugh who loves it yeah oh yeah can't get enough <laughs> love me some lugosi uh you know fill my veins with it uh, no i mean i think i'm probably in, in the middle i don't i don't think it's a particularly terrific film uh, especially looking at it with uh, with modern eyes as uh, tony said however uh, much like we discussed i think at length about nosferatu it really is a film to be looked at rather than enjoyed you know it's like you have to kind of appreciate what it was doing I'd seen it quite a few times if I'm honest I mean I revisited it last night for the first time in maybe a couple of years but I mean I've seen it several times before and uh, I actually do enjoy watching it I really I don't have the same um, the same issues that I think Tony maybe had I find as well that the fact it's so short you know it's what is it like almost 80 minutes around that mm. mark I think mm. it kind of it does fly by a little bit because I, I spend half the time just kind of drinking in the what's going to become sort of like massive massive moments 
moments in vampire cinema. Uh, I mean, it really is. Mm. There's so much in here. Um, but the problem is, you you, fi- you do find it hard to buy into as a horror movie because it's. I mean, everything has been aped to the point of absurdity. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, you've seen the the look of Bella Lugosi, the accent, the you know the the dress sense, the absurd camera angles, the you know the the focus on his eyes. You've seen all that stuff a million times in everything from uh, the Simpsons to you know horror movies today who still, still kind of use some of the iconography of the film so it's, it's hard to buy into it as a sort of uh, as a horror but it is interesting to step back a little bit and look at it as well this is this is where all these cliches come from mm. really it kind of acts as a bridge between Nosferatu and this and also between this and what Hammer would do in the in the 50s or late 50s and 60s I mean mm. I really felt that this time having watched Christopher Lee's Dracula so recently uh, you know it's like even something like the castle that Dracula lives in you know this rumble decaying r- r- ruin you know with rubber spiders as big as Alsatians um, and then it's you know it's, it's a bit of a surprise to see this rather refined looking count coming down the stairs you know and this yeah. out, you know beautiful dinner suit and cape and you know he's so yeah, charming with that and that really interesting accent that again I can't hear that accent without hearing a million other people having done that accent you know it's, it's so hard and it's like as he, as they move from the sort of the, the rubble of the of that bottom layer of the castle and he gets to the sort of the more sort of refined el- elements at the top where uh, where the Renfield character is going to be staying it almost feels like the bridge between uh, Nosferatu and the 58 film right there you know you can see those two things mm. bumping heads with each other and obviously you know coming at the, the birth of the talkies you can kind of feel the film trying to pull away from its silent movie roots and yeah. it's it's difficult because the actors obviously are still at this point used to you know silent movies and they have to give big bombastic performances uh, you know to play an audience who, who wouldn't really hear them speak and I think Lugosi spends about 70% of his screen time sort of staring menacingly at, menacingly at the camera which <laughs> it does come off as a little bit silly now I mean I, I'm not lying I had a, a chuckle a couple of times last night when he's standing just eyeballing me through the television but <laughs> I, I like to try and put myself in the, the the sort of the mindset of an audience member who would have seen it at the time and like you, you read tales of people fainting in the aisles and you know just being too much for <laughs> yeah. for the, the audience of the day and it's hard to you know to, to, you know, to rectify that, that image in your head with what you're seeing but uh, no overall I, I, I enjoyed it I, I, it's not something I would put on to kind of have a, a relaxing evening but I intend to revisit this quite regular I probably will go back again in a couple of years mm. and I, f- I find it an easier watch than something like Nosferatu which again I could admire what they were doing I could admire the sort of you know the history of that film but um, this is a film that I can kind of uh, have a bit more time for I think yeah okay um, I mean what a transformation though going from Nosferatu in 22 to Dracula 31 like less mm-hmm. than 10 years later like, imagine being around at that time you know, I remember mm-hmm. watching Nosferatu and it was so <laughs> different to this yeah, movie so what a transformation sort of thing in, in uh, technology and, and uh, the kind of language of cinema that was coming about mm-hmm. obviously so it's quite um, impressive in that sense I mean it is um, obviously based on the stage play so it is pretty mm-hmm. much like watching a filmed stage play in a sense yeah. so uh, th- everyone kind of acts like they're on stage is what I took it to be um, but then there's occasional moments when they're, they're told to like perform for the camera and they're not really used to that so yeah. I, think, I think that's where you get all the gurning that happens <laughs> with, um, with Bella Lugosi he's going to try and kind of like gum you to death isn't he <laughs> there's some outstanding gunning going on in this film outstanding gunning yeah yeah he doesn't have any fangs so that's a, that's a strange thing about this movie yeah, as well. yeah. oh yeah no he doesn't he played it on stage though didn't he beforehand yes. and he kind of lobbied hard to get the part so mm. you, you can see that transformation from stage to, to screen and how they didn't quite it, it is like that mix of silent film stage play and they haven't mm. quite figured out yet how to move the camera and how to utilise yeah. cinema mm. for the purposes of, of making something genuinely scary yeah. I mean and that's and that's the thing that's the important thing even though with my 
realise now, having seen all of the things since, and my, and my personal favourite, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, which has a Gary Oldman performance that very much taps into Lugosi when he's yeah. playing the Count in Dracula, and he admitted as much, mm-hmm. you know, when he when he was interviewed. So having seen those, where it is much more of a visual piece and musical piece and all of these kind of things, it's so hard to try and take yourself mm. out of it and say, think of how you would have seen this in 1931, yeah. and and you would have been blown away probably by what by a lot of it and so it's it's finding that middle point really and i and you know and that's why looking at it from that perspective lugosi is great he yeah. absolutely put a stamp on this role that has been aped for nearly 100 mm. years you know people are mm-hmm. still aping this part and, and the way he played it now and, and that is not to be underestimated i think i enjoyed it up to a certain point i think i was quite into it until he got to london i think was the point where it began to lose me a little bit mm. I, I actually was mm. really impressed earlier on um, I have seen it before but a very long time ago when I was young and didn't care about black and white movies as much as I might do today um, <laughs> I was going to ask you yeah. what's, what's changed you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah you know what I mean though. when you're like a younger man you're like oh black and white yeah. but this time I, I, I did uh, buy into it a, a, a lot better and um, I, I like the production design of his castle in particular how huge it was and how you know yeah that was fantastic huge staircase yeah. in particular was really good and the kind of cobweb that's like it's going to have Shelob from the Lord of the Rings on that thing I think it's like <laughs> huge kind of cobweb you can see the ropes though can't you and they've kind of sprayed <laughs> cobweb stuff on it on these ropes it's quite good and the gr- giant rubber spider thing you mentioned um so all of that kind of stuff is good and i, and I liked bella lugosi because um it is the kind of uh cliched if you like uh dracula but he created that cliche so you can't really blame him for for, yeah. for that he, he, and that's where it all comes from so i think he's really good but yeah as soon as it, as soon as it gets to uh london and then more of the other characters come in i thought okay it's gonna uh, adjust now and we're gonna have you know more characters more to more to do um but it kind of fell apart a little bit or get a little, got a little bit more tedious around that point for me mm-hmm. and then unfortunately for this movie I think the climax is a huge dud yes, um, yeah, so that's the, that's the real problem and uh, just to say though I'm going to kind of dip into my trivia as we go um because I spent a lot of time putting this trivia together, Tony. Need to, need to drop it in as best I can. Um, so yeah, so Dracula, as you mentioned, it w- yeah was um, Bela Lugosi had played the role on stage in uh, Broadway to uh, great acclaim. So he wanted to get this role, and he he apparently agreed to a very low sum of five hundred dollars a week. Uh, mm. So he only got like three thousand five hundred dollars for this part. Robbed, um, absolutely yeah. robbed. There. <laughs> <laughs> they they wanted uh, Lon Chaney to play uh, Dracula, and um, interestingly, he would have also would have played uh, Van Helsing as well. So it would have been like a kind of dual role. Kind of situation would that have worked everyone would have thought they were brothers <laughs> probably wouldn't they yeah yeah i don't know what split screen technology was like back then, but um might have been might have been a bit obvious maybe that um that he was the same actor playing both parts so maybe that was a, a, a good thing that they didn't go down that route but uh, anyway so so um as i mentioned uh, the producer carl lamey he wasn't a fan of uh, bella lugosi and uh, he wanted other people to to play this part anyone else but not uh, not lugosi including conrad veet quite oh, famous yeah. kind of actor around that time yeah, and um, but eventually I think uh, you know Lugosi just wanted su- such a little money for this, and they thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm silly to turn that down. So, so uh, you know, purely for economic reasons, they got Lugosi. I think. Why did he not want Lugosi though? Do we know what it was? I haven't, I haven't done that much research, Tony. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just testing your trivia, Dan. Here. Dan, Dan, get get the Ouija board. Come on, let's get him on. Let's find out what's happening. Um, I don't know. Maybe he went to see the play and just wasn't a fan or something. No, I, could I, be. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, but. For some reason he didn't didn't like him but you know maybe um afterwards he came around maybe because it is a good it is a good performance um the weird thing about the um lugosi and his and his paycheck is that um he wasn't the highest paid person on on the production obviously uh-huh. so the person who actually got the most money guess who it was tony who do you think out of the cast got the most um money for their part i think 
and this is purely guesswork because I haven't done any research at all, it was Helen Chandler. Oh, it was. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Okay, I, you win the prize. Yeah, I okay. did know that in advance. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, we need to I book genius. guests who don't do the research, Hugh, so we can look, <laughs> we can look clever. Right, okay. Does that mean next time I come on, I don't have to do any research at all? Can I just like wink, not even watch the film? Can I just wing it? Because that's, that's what I'm going to do next time. I've warned you now. Well, we, I, I like that you've done your research, I suppose. But yeah, can, but when I ask questions like that, can you pretend not to know? Also, also, I love okay, how damning right. with faint praise that was. I, I, you know, I like that you've done your research, I suppose. I suppose, yeah. yeah. I'll dumb it down next time, don't worry, okay, I promise. Yeah. So she wanted uh, $750 a week, um, so, and she got it. Isn't that amazing, though? Mm. Like, like At the time, though, the, I mean, that never happened these days, would it? You know, these days, women are still getting paid, like, millions of dollars less mm. than men. But back then, she that's mad. Like, that's a really yeah, surprising. Totally the opposite, yeah. And she was um, battling severe alcoholism at the time. Um, oh, wow. So I think I know where that £750 went. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not to a good place. Oh, do you know, I'd, I'd written down as well that I thought her performance is a little bit too sort of reserved, but I regret writing that down now. Now I know why. Yeah, she's probably <laughs> struggling, unfortunately. Um, and also, I didn't know this, but uh, Edward Van Sloan, who, who's playing Van Helsing here, he also played the, the role on stage with Lugosi. So oh, wow. it's a, kind of like cool. a reunion of those two actors. So they've obviously got a bit of chemistry there, maybe. Maybe that also helped with uh, Lugosi landing the role, possibly. Yeah. Uh, just kind of made sense at a certain point. Yeah, so um, obviously it comes from Todd Browning, who's a famous uh, director, uh, most famously, I think, for Freaks. Yeah. Have you seen Freaks? That's a weird old film, isn't it? I, I love that film, actually. That's, yeah. that's like a proper classic, weird, bonkers <laughs> movie. And yeah, it's what it's like. A, I think you have to have watched that if you're going to call yourself like a horror fan at some point. You need to put yourself through yeah. Freaks. It's well worth it. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because it, 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 it has real Freaks in there, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. You'd never get away with it now. <laughs> never. No, 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 absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, lo- lots of, lots of uh, inspiration taken from freaks and lots of movies uh, down the years. I remember um, American Horror Story yeah. they did a season, didn't they, in the circus? Yeah. And that was very much uh, taken from freaks, a lot of that. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, yeah, so quite a, quite a, um, a, a decent horror director. Um, so he had um, $350,000 and 36 days to make the film. It came in under budget. But apparently he wasn't, uh, he was kind of uncharacteristically disorganized, is, is how it was phrased. And so, um, yeah, he, he wasn't uh, quite as um, on the ball, I think. As he as he's mm-hmm. normally is, so um, his cinematographer Carl Freund uh, took over many times. So so much so apparently that a lot of people would say that it's almost a co-directed movie.
movie. So Carl Freund maybe deserves some of the plaudits as well mm. with this. I want I just going to say that I wonder if that you know that the idea that it you know being co-directed or the two directors is probably but maybe causes that schism in the film where like you said yeah. it's you know up until a certain point it feels like it's doing one thing and then I agree with you when it, when it gets to London it feels like it, it's it's going off in another direction. There, there are some um, really curious sort of uh, comic scenes when they get to London as well with uh, Charles K. Gerard's Martin character who's like yeah. the uh, the orderly who's in charge of <laughs> Renfield. Now don't get me wrong, I, I've, I've just written down under his name MVP because everything, <laughs> everything I watch this film, he makes me laugh and laugh. He's he's a right cockney guy that yeah. I know mistake. Um, <laughs> every time he appears, and I, I remember thinking this, even the first time I saw it, like he reminds me of, do you remember the, the Paul Whitehouse character from the fast show, Arthur Atkinson? <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, who's like yeah. an Arthur Askey parody? Where's me washboard? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Every time I see him, that's why I expect a "Where's me washboard" reference. So um, <laughs> when you were asking Tony earlier who uh, who was paid the most in this film, I thought, oh, please tell me it was Charlie Boy. Tell me Charlie got it. That'd be outstanding. <laughs> well, that'd been great. Um, yeah, you're right there. Maybe that was the case then that uh, early on uh, Todd uh, Browning was doing it and mm. he was kind of getting on okay, and then, and then something happened to him and, they, and he kind of lost interest or something, mm. and then Cole Freund took over, and maybe that's why. Yeah, like you say, the the second half is not as strong it, it, feel, yeah. it feels more staid doesn't it the second yeah. half really maybe they were going for that stage play feel mm. but it just really mm-hmm. saps the energy out of the whole thing to be honest yeah. and whereas that first half or that first half an hour at least yeah it has a little bit more strangeness to it and it just yeah, yeah. so who knows I mean, or do we know who did which bit no no I'm not a scholar on this movie unfortunately I'm, I'm sure it probably is known we'll drop an edit in here like we'll do a record scratch and then Dan will come back <laughs> in a couple of months yeah, so I'll have to do that now you've said that yeah <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The first, the first like half hour has like you know all the horror kind of tropes, isn't it? Really, all the castle and the cobwebs and the brides, mm. especially. I didn't think they'd come into it so early. And you get all the fun of Dracula. Yeah. And then it, when he goes to London, he's just kind of like a guy in London kind of thing. And you know he's a vampire and stuff. And there's a few little moments which are quite fun, I suppose. But ultimately, it doesn't build to anything yeah. uh, horrific by the end, does it? So it's kind of like it just peters out quite early in a sense. Can I talk about the that the, the opening uh, scenes that you're talking yeah. about there? You know, the, the kind of the setup. There's a couple of things. I wanted to raise I found really interesting uh, on this rewatch where I mean they, they, they get into it really quickly don't they they don't waste any time at all uh, when they show up at the tavern owner I mean he just outright outright says oh Dracula oh you're going to castle Dracula oh, don't do that he's a vampire <laughs> yeah yeah there's, there's no build up to it he just outright says it and you go right okay okay and then th- there's no ambiguity whatsoever from the film because in, in a lot of the films that I've seen what they do is you know you'll have our, our protagonist meet the count but you know of course the audience know he's a vampire but we haven't seen it yet, mm. you know. Whereas here, we see him, you know, we see the brides creeping out of the uh, out of mm. their coffins and uh, Dracula as well. So we know up front before our main character knows that, you know, there are vampires everywhere and you are in deep <laughs> shit, my friend. I'm afraid you're absolutely doomed here. It's, I actually think the scene where they all kind of clamber out their coffins, I think that remains quite creepy yeah. because of the, you know, there's a, there's a distinct lack of any, like, sort of musical cues at certain points mm. in this film, you know, that, that could have done with them. Mm. But I think the absence of noise sometimes creates this weird eerie vacuum and I really like that scene as they sort of slowly wake up underneath the, the castle. I also liked how they did the uh, traditional thing that you find in lots of Dracula tellings where the actor playing Dracula also plays the driver yes. that happens quite a lot and in this one it's really obvious that Lugosi's the driver they make a real point of that but I thought it, I thought it was quite funny because it's like it's like almost like Dracula's <laughs> pretending he's got servants he's running around playing all the roles <laughs> yeah, I expected him to be a maid or something later on. Yeah. I did genuinely wonder if it was just Dracula on in driving the 
in that carriage. I genuinely was like, what's he doing? Is he playing a game? To your point, though, Hugh, just quickly, about the um, the intro. Hmm. And is, uh, is it, and you know, the, the discussion about, oh, he's a vampire. Do we think maybe that's because there was a preconceived understanding of, of Stoker's novel at this time amongst a lot of audiences that maybe they knew going in what this was in a way that, you know, later, not necessarily later vampire movies as such or Dracula movies didn't, but in the sense that they, they didn't have to pretend, they didn't have to build that up because everyone going into the movies knew the general story. And I don't know if that was the case and maybe that's why they did it. It is interesting, but then even with something like, um, well, like 1958's Dracula with uh, Christopher Lee, when we first meet the Count, ostensibly he's just, you know, the, the rich guy who's hired someone to come and buy him a house somewhere. Now, again, the audience know who he is and what he is, but we aren't shown him, you know, like crawling out of a coffin or drinking any blood mm. before we see him on screen. And I just thought it was interesting that they kind of front load that in this film uh, to, you know, to, to let you know exactly what kind of film mm. you're in for. And th- there's, a, there's another thing that crops up here that, that cropped up in the 58 version as well that, uh, what do you guys think of this? I love how readily they all accept that vampires are real. You know, the, the, <laughs> it's like it's like an academic setting and you've mm. got Van Helsing and you've got, the you know, the, the like Dr. Seward and when he tells them that the vampires are real, there's no pushback against it. There's no, wait a minute, supernatural creatures are real. They just accept it as being real. Now, that's great for the economy of the story and it moves things along a lot quicker than having everyone debate, you know, whether, whether or not it's real. But it's really interesting because in modern cinema, there's a real pushback against that. Like, how many modern horror films do you watch where nobody believes the woman who's being hunted down by the evil unstoppable killer or nobody believes that, mm. you know, the vampire's living down the road, you know, like in Fright Night and stuff like that. Um, is, is that a modern thing? Do you think it's because, like, modern audiences have kind of become more au fait with the vampire myth and, you know, they kind of lean into it being part of the pop culture. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I think I think it's because uh, we, we live more in the age of science, don't we, in a sense? That was all kind of happening around that. Well, mm. it, it kind of happened, I suppose. But after the 50s, don't you think that our lives really were kind of taken with science, you know, the atomic age kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And all mm-hmm. that came in. Whereas in the 30s, the people around that time, you know, their parents would have maybe grown up in a very different world where science was very sort of nascent at that mm-hmm. time. So maybe, maybe it's just more of a, like a cultural memory of times before where myths were quite strong they were closer to those times you know superstitious worlds yeah. maybe that that were, that that were coming out of and i suppose because it's set in the late 19th century i'm guessing yeah, yeah, i think so um it yeah perhaps it is leaning a bit more into that that's, that's an interesting point though because it's 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 easy to skip past that isn't it and just think oh well you know just like you say for the economy of the story but that's quite crucial yeah. really isn't it yeah. and and the, and the attitudes towards how people receive information throughout the throughout the decades of dracula adaptation yeah. and vampire stories has definitely changed absolutely yeah and even though we're in the age of cinema around this time it's uh, still books were like the probably the dominant form of entertainment so I yeah, think a lot of so. people had read Dracula because Dracula had been out like 30 years by this mm-hmm. point roughly, uh, over mm-hmm. 30 years slightly so I think a lot of people just knew what Dracula was it was the, it was a surprise isn't it doing um, these uh, viewings Hugh that um, how sometimes modern some of them fe- yeah. feel because you expect them to play up the fact that no one knows he's Dracula but most of the versions even the old ones everyone mm-hmm. does know like the 58 one we've done with Christopher Lee one of the early twists there is that Jonathan Harker immediately knows that he's uh-huh. a vampire and you're, and you're kind of expecting the, the, the classic way of doing it where he doesn't know but these older ones don't do that. <laughs> well, this one does a, a similar sort of um, twist on the narrative as well doesn't it because I, I, I don't know about you guys but when I, when I remember when I first watched this I just assumed that that was Harker who was going to the house <laughs> and it's not until he gets name checked as Renfield it's like oh okay so they're doing something mm. a bit unusual um, mm. and I, I think that he is I mean Dwight Fry is absolutely terrific as Renfield he's one yeah. of the, 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 the yeah, best things good. in the film he gives a really sort of weird and desperate and unhinged performance in it again that gives the film some of its creepier moments I think 
although he is a bit big and mad and broad throughout most of it there's some really creepy images I think like there's, there's the the bit where they, they find him on the boat you know and he's like the, the sole yeah. survivor on the boat and when they open up the uh, the hold and they find him under there it's really unsettling it's sort of the mad eyed stare mm. that he's given you and then you know late in the film when the the maid has, has kind of collapsed because of all the, the terror in the house and there's that horrible image of him kind of crawling towards her unconscious body and yeah no I, I think he's absolutely brilliant in this yeah, he's definitely the best person, I think, in the movie. Mm. He almost steals it from Lugosi, I think. Because it's more of a modern performance, I think, than Lugosi. Yeah. Even though probably at the time it, it felt modern to us now, it seems old-fashioned. Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, I think Dwight Fry is doing a good job there. Because you, you see him as one kind of typical Englishman, like posh gent kind of thing. And then he becomes mm. this crazy person who wants to eat flies. And, <laughs> and you, it's, it's, so it's more interesting, isn't it, I think, from modern viewers, just that character, to see that, that kind of progression. You don't really get that with Lugosi, mm. unfortunately. Who do you like in this uh Tony uh, I kind of agree with uh, with Renfield really outside of because to be honest everyone else is a little bit dry yeah. really you know outside of outside of him and Lugosi they're all a little bit dry and serious and uh, they don't really make a mark and I suppose you know it, it's a natural factor of the f- of, of the story in that these are the most interesting strange characters mm. you know in the Dracula story there are quite a few characters really who are fairly bland you know Harker's mm-hmm. fairly bland Seward's fairly bland, you know. I mean, it, Van Sloan's decent as Van Helsing, but you know, you can't beat someone like Anthony Hopkins just mugging, the, <laughs> mugging away, just going, "Oh, Van Helsing, I am all of you." That kind of thing's brilliant, you know. You really want that. You really want that theatricality to come through, and it doesn't always with some of these actors. Whereas with Dwight Fry, you really get that sense of a character mm-hmm. in, in a big way, as well as in a different way to Lugosi. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with Renfield. Yeah, and Dwight Fry was also in Frankenstein the same year. Oh wow. Who did he play in that? Do we know? Uh, a character called Fritz. Oh, okay. So the famous Fritz, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone knows Fritz. Oh, Fritz, of course. Yeah. Well, I don't know offhand exactly who that character is, but he is in, he's in that movie. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do Frankenstein. Eh? We, don't, we don't talk about Frankenstein, Tony. This is a different, <laughs> different podcast. I can, again, again, Dan, I can smell a Patreon episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, around this time, you, I think you got a little bit pigeonholed into the genre, really, because uh, a lot of the actors here did similar kind of roles or, or at least other horror roles. Uh, Edward Van Sloan's probably the most prominent one. Mm-hmm. He, he was also in Frankenstein. <laughs> I think everyone was in Frankenstein that year. He was he was playing a doctor in that, uh, Dr. Waldman. He was also in The Mummy mm-hmm. uh, the following year. He was playing a doctor in that, so a bit typecast as doctors. And then he obviously came back for the sequel to this, uh, Daughter of Dracula, uh, five years later. So he's quite a prominent kind of mm-hmm. horror icon of the era. What, what, I mean, what do you think of Edward Van Sloan in this film, Dan? Well, was he doing a Scottish accent? I, I couldn't tell what he was doing. I thought I thought it was. And I thought, <laughs> then I read, read up that he was obviously an American actor. Yeah. Did he do a good Scottish accent then? I was something in my brain was triggering Scottish, no, I, I, and I thought that's interesting. But well, I don't there, know. You go, there you go. I thought he was trying to match Lugosi. I, I think because uh, right. you know because Lugosi's uh, Dracula said you know that he was familiar with Van Helsing. His name mm. has carried all the way to Transylvania, and I was wondering if he was maybe trying to do some sort of weird Eastern European thing. But yeah, that is a weird Eastern European thing by way of Edinburgh. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. I couldn't quite uh, tie down what he was doing, but I, I, I quite liked his performance. To be honest, yeah. it's, it, obviously much less dynamic and dashing than Peter Cushing who as any listener will, who's uh, who's with us and has listened to early episodes will know I've got a ridiculous crush on after watching him in Dracula um, <laughs> he is just he is the Van Helsing to beat for me um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think he's really good I, I love how how confident he is and I think my favourite scene in the film is when you know they're in the parlour uh, and him and Van Helsing are basically trying to you know, suss each other out he's, he's very very confident I mean he tells Dracula exactly how he plans to kill him like almost beat for beat <laughs> 
And Dra- <laughs> at that point, you think Dracula might have been like, yeah, I should, I should probably try and kill this guy first, actually. But I really liked him. I thought he was excellent in this. Also, I think back in those days, I think like Eastern Europe was still like a kind of mysterious place, wasn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't westernized yet, was it? Eastern Europe was considered like one country, I think, for yeah. some people. You know, that's all they knew of it. There's all the subtext here, isn't there, of Dracula being that kind of like a relic, kind of old-fashioned, old-world mm. kind of thing that, that Europe's moving on from. And then Dracula's like a kind of ghost from that age, in a sense, that, that like invades London, modern London. How dare he? Mm-hmm. Do you got on, on the subject of, uh, of Eastern European things, do you guys know the interesting real-world political factor that sort of influenced the Stoker story in that the villagers at the start, they all speak Hungarian because at the time, Transylvania, before World War One, so in the late 19th century when Stoker wrote the novel, Transylvania was part of Hungary or Austro-Hungary, I think, might maybe. And then after World War One, mm-hmm. the whole map sort of changed and it was Romanian, I think, after that. So then there was a bit of a change. And I think there was a there was a critic <laughs> or... No, actually, it was Christopher Lee who pointed out that he he said that this was a, a mistake that you know they that mm. from that from this movie because he wasn't a big fan of Lugosi's performance in the movie mm. and then yeah scholars have said well actually it wasn't it, technically that was correct in the sense that Hungary's map changed so it, it's not a massive factor on the Dracula story but it's just an interesting piece of arcanum in that mm. we associate Transylvania and Romania and Dracula and actually when Stoke was writing it it was Hungarian technically so it's just an interesting fact that they were they were using Hungarian accents and Hungarian people in that starting point yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. You've done a bit more trivia than me. Uh, <laughs> a bit more, a bit more research. I didn't get, I Sorry, didn't get to that part. I, I know I shouldn't be doing research. I, I have learnt my lesson here. I promise. <laughs> he's, on, he's on Wikipedia right now. I can see him. I can hear him scrolling, <laughs> finding all this stuff out. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, one thing I wanted to also mention, actually, is that I don't know if you you guys uh, were the same. I know, I know, Tony, you were watching on the Blu-ray you mentioned. Um, so I've got the same Blu-ray. So I was watching it exactly the same version as you. Yeah, th- with the music. I want to talk about the music because there is no music music score for this movie it was nothing was ever composed mm. at the time although you do hear like classical songs uh, within the, mu- the movie itself swan lake isn't it i think at the start swan, yeah swan lake. at the start um in 1998 uh composer philip glass was commissioned to write the score to dracula uh, and it's included on most uh, home video copies today so i must admit that i got to a certain point in the movie where i actually switched to having his music ah, and i found it a lot more enjoyable really? at that point <laughs> yeah ah. yeah i got to the point where dracula is with renfield the bit where he kind of recoils uh, um, at the crucifix I think mm. or something that he's got and I just thought it, that moment just fell really flat with no kind of like sound effect or anything no, nowadays you'd expect some kind of like music wouldn't you a violin or something to go yeah, off yeah. to kind of show that reaction and, I, and because it wasn't there and I was so used to seeing or hearing that in modern movies it just really took me out of the movie at that point I remember thinking oh that's really weird that's like watching it on a stage yeah, you know that's yeah. how it would be on a stage and it just felt weird watching it in that manner so I thought oh oh I remember about the Philip Glass um, thing so I, I switched over my Blu-ray to Philip Glass's score and he's he's done this brilliant kind of score that sounds of the era but it's obviously slightly modern you know you can't ever quite hide the fact that he's a modern composer I suppose but it kind of fits really well and I, I thought as soon as I put that music on I thought the movie increased by at least a star I'm, go- I'm gonna do that yeah. I'm gonna do that because uh, well a good example of I think where that would work is when the scene where Dracula's approaching Lucy in bed and obviously it's lit very it's not like the shadows it's very well lit that scene and he's just approaching her just with his hands mm. extended and he and it's so without any music it's just ridiculous you know it's just it's <laughs> yeah. not menacing at all but maybe with a bit of music I mean it should have been shot differently maybe and with but all that you know but with music yeah maybe that would work better as well I don't know I, I'm going to definitely do that I didn't realise we could do that with that DVD it does definitely improve it it's funny the, the silences though I, I, I genuinely 
do you think they add something to it? They give it a kind of weird, sort of like, you know, timeless, weird quality. Not timeless, almost out of time, you know, it's, it's weird. Yeah. And I think it's probably tied back to watching it when I was a kid, because I've got really vivid memories of seeing this film, watching it with my mum, uh, like when I was like maybe six or seven years old, uh, sitting on the sofa, watching it late uh, on like BBC Two, uh, on like a Friday night with my mum. And I remember, see those, those long silences as maybe someone's creeping towards the camera or moving towards the victim. I, mm. I associate that with utter terror and anticipation, you know, because I remember being that age and what, you know, the silence is almost unbearable as he's kind of like moving closer and closer to her. But you are right, like with, through a modern prism, and with, you know, with your sort of like your, your film critic head engaged a little bit. Yeah, it does come across as a bit silly, but I think it's just maybe I've been conditioned from, from having seen it at such a young age. But that makes sense, totally. Mm. You know, we're like that with so many movies, aren't we? You know, when you see it at a certain age, it has such an indelible mm. effect. So that's great, though. That's great that you can see it mm. through that that way. I wish I could, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I did I did like the uh, early moments without the music, because like you say, it does have that kind of weird uh, quality, a bit like Nosferatu that we that we, we watched as well. I, I think mm. I, in the Nosferatu episode, I, I mentioned that that movie seems like a, a nightmare caught on film, because when you dream, you don't have music and stuff, do you? And all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it, in a way, you have more of a raw experience about music and you know for horror there's definitely like a, a line to be trod i think where we need a mix maybe and um, but i did enjoy the the music anyway mm-hmm. i think it did elevate certain moments so uh so i'd recommend that anyway uh, there's also a silent version of this film that was made because not every cinema had sound so yeah. yeah there is a silent version that was that was commissioned so um you can watch it you know with those kind of uh, intertitles that they have coming up <laughs> i suppose you know i'd like to do that i think i really would like to to watch it the silent movie version of I've, I've never actually is that something that's still available on like the Blu-rays and stuff, Dan. I didn't see it on my Blu-ray. Um, I'm gonna have a look maybe. for that. We've got the Spanish version on that mm. Blu-ray, but I don't know about the silent one. And uh, it, I think with the with the silent thing, I don't think that's on there. But they they kind of use silent sort of techniques, don't they? At various yeah, points, they yeah. use like um, newspapers sort of convey information and things like that. Yeah. So there's, again, that's another example of how it leans into that that style as well. There is a magic button though on your remote called mute. If you press that, you get the silent movie experience for free. You don't need the Blu-ray. You just just press that button. It's done. Oh god, just you're always two steps ahead, Dan. It's like I just <laughs> yeah. you know you and your technical wizardry. <laughs> There's a lot of Adam Sandler movies that really benefit from that approach. Oh, just yeah. FYI. Just before we, we move on, just I wanted to talk about uh, just more about the sort of the link between uh, Lugosi's Dracula and future Draculas. And again, this it's only really striking to me, Dan, because we've watched we've seen a lot of Draculas over the last few months um, <laughs> but in, in particular the, the the link between Lugosi and uh, Christopher Lee's Dracula mm. and Nosferatu as well because I think the three of them kind of go hand in hand as a sort of evolution mm. of what the popular understanding of that character would be yep. so Christopher Lee's Dracula for instance he has all the you know the, ref- the refinements and sophistication that Lugosi has you know he's debonair mm. very handsome you know well turned out lovely suit you know he looks terrific but he also has that really sort of like scary feral side you know that kind of yeah. that Nosferatu showcases so well and it's interesting how the, you know that kind of jumps together uh, and also Lugosi gets some some phenomenal lines of dialogue I mean you know they're, mm. they're, they're so quotable and again you, you see them crop up in horror films over and over again whereas Christopher Lee's Dracula is kind of robbed of that now mm. we haven't got to future uh, Christopher Lee appearances and we will get there but I'll be interested to see how that uh, how that evolves as it goes on because there really does feel like a mix of of you know um, Nosferatu and Lugosi and uh, that performance what 
what do you think? Yeah, well, well it's definitely he's not as sexual, is he? Uh, Christopher mm. Lee was his Dracula was definitely more sexualized, yeah, and uh, definitely Lugosi's going for that at all, is he? Um, I think that's the main difference, wasn't it? You're moving into the 60s and stuff, and people are just a lot more mm-hmm. open to that kind of a, a interpretation. Whereas this, what this version is, uh, the kind of enigmatic foreigner who's got a bit of standing, so the, mm-hmm. the British like him because he's a count, you know, <laughs> we've, we've got an aristocracy yeah, yeah. and stuff, so we kind of like him for that, but he's still like a, a foreigner essentially. There's also, there's also unfortunately a bit of an anti-Semitic aspect to Dracula as we've discussed before because um, Bram Stoker was an anti- yeah. anti-Semite apparently um, so um, there has always been some discussion that the the uh, book and therefore some of the adaptations especially earlier on in the 20th century were very much feeding into that a little bit because Dracula is, is in this version especially is Jewish or is meant to be Jewish you see a Star of David on yeah. his jewellery um, and um, so he's meant to be a, mm-hmm. a, a Jewish character so it's kind of like a fear of the Jews oh. kind of coming into London and that kind mm-hmm. of thing so there's all this kind of subtext unfortunately uh, to Dracula um, honestly was was any writer in the 19th century not anti-Semitic racist was there anyone good <laughs> back then yeah um, what else have we got to talk about um, let's have a look um, I want to well, I want to talk about um, fake bat technology Hugh <laughs> it didn't improve from 1931 to 1958 did it um, that's one of my favourite scenes in the film though when um, you know when Renfield is on his way to the castle and he you know, he sticks his head at the coach to see why it's such a bumpy ride and there's a bat <laughs> driving the coach <laughs> at that point did he not think yeah. that there's something a bit wrong here actually I think I'm going to head back to that weird little tavern if it's alright I still love the idea that Dracula's playing the driver I just love that I just yeah, love that he's yeah. playing all the roles he's the, he's the cook downstairs and do you remember that episode uh, uh, Tony will know this the uh, uh, 40 Towers episode where Basil Forty's pretending to be the chef <laughs> that, that's Dracula that's Dracula yeah. essentially he's running around Waldorf salad yeah, yeah, yeah that's the playing one. all the roles it was really good <laughs> He, when he shows up as the uh, as the driver, I mean, I may be misremembering this, but is he not just like wearing a silly hat and just looks exactly the same as he normally does? <laughs> a scarf or something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. So let's talk about the movie when it came out. Then, um, so yeah, as you as you mentioned, Hugh, a lot of people fainted when they saw it. It's quite a shocking thing. Back in those, I've got no idea what scene they must have fainted at. I can't can't imagine what it was because because even the climax is very very staid, doesn't it? It's um, you don't even see him get staked or anything. It's just... I love the climax of this film, but not for the way the film intends me to love it. Uh, you know, as as he's you know put to the the stake slightly off screen and you just hear ah <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every, every time it makes me laugh and every time in my head I hear him say shit but he never does say it but in my head like ah shit every time I watch the film I expect to hear that and I'm always disappointed oh, so you know the next thing you watch it have that in your head I'm going to watch it again just for this so I can hear this when he does it I tell you that's worth it alone well w- one thing that doesn't get mentioned sometimes is that is that in I don't know if it's the same for this movie but um, <clears throat> in some of the vampire law when a vampire's in the coffin the vampire is like dead in the mm. coffin so, so maybe that was all what was happening here you know with the with the Christopher Lee one he's kind of like awake isn't he he can, be, he can kind of like fight and do stuff whereas this Dracula if you catch him in his coffin he's, he's yeah he could just kind of whimper because you've got him it yeah. made no sense because he's, run, he's running away from them they're practically right behind them and he just goes do you know what I'll jump in this coffin they'll never know anything <laughs> just I'm going to go for a little power on that but they're going to do it yeah the climax is really the real problem with this movie in a sense if it had ended a bit better it, I might have gone away thinking that it's not, actually not too bad but mm-hmm. it just it ends in such a kind of abrupt way yes. and it's just like really such an anti-climax after you just know. remember just remember ah shit ah shit <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, when it was re-released in 1936, uh, the Hayes Code had come in by that point, and they had to cut some stuff out of the movie. So there's stuff here that was too raw for <laughs> for the people in the 30s. They got rid of that death groan uh, from Dracula. Maybe maybe he did see shit then. Maybe it's not in my head. Maybe <laughs> maybe you know how they uh, used to release like really terrible teen comedies like Road Trip or Hall Pass, but it would be the uncut version, the X-rated version. We need that for this. We need the uncut Dracula 31. <laughs> well, you know, you could like insert some modern scenes, couldn't you, into this movie quite cleverly and make it a bit more uh, exciting and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Dan, you've, you've got all these great Patreon ideas. Yeah, I just I love what you're doing. It's so exciting. Yeah, we could we could we could film it and well, yeah, you could dress up as Dracula and I'll be Van Helsing Absolutely. and we'll film it and we'll cut. No, no, you know, we to, need to get to Tony that. in for Dracula because he's uh, get previous, does he not? Playing Dracula, I could do the accent for you. There you go. <laughs> and I can I can be the uh, the Scottish Van Helsing, so we're all sorted. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, oh, that leaves me a Renfield. Then I'm eating the flies. Do you do a good tortured scream, Dan? How's your tortured <laughs> scream these days? Oh, I, I can't to be honest the minute i've got a bad throat that's my excuse i can't <clears throat> i'm just sipping water as we go you need some iron brew that'll sort you right out <laughs> yeah i'll try yeah uh, i need to get hold of some you need to send me some i put that i put that as one of the goals on the kofi page you need a certain amount of money for some iron brew please do that please please do that lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I just want to mention that about uh, Lugosi on set. Uh, quite funny. Apparently, he was uh, often seen parading up and down yelling, I am Dracula. <laughs> into a full-length mirror um, and people kind of quietly backed away from him. <laughs> he was quite worried about being typecast uh, with good reason. He was massively typecast after this movie, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing is, though, I thought maybe he'd had done, he'd returned for this role numerous times, but he'd done the Broadway play and he and he did this movie and he came back for, um, I think it was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Mm. Um, but he, did, he wasn't in any of the other kind of versions and not the direct sequel to this. So he wasn't Dracula that many times, really, yeah. on, on like, on stage he was every night or whatever but not on film so. is that maybe a testament to how iconic this performance is though you know because yeah. I, I'm like you Dan in my head like oh yeah Lugosi oh, he must have been in like five or six Dracula films but yeah you're absolutely right he's not apparently as well that a lot of the images and the stills that people remember Lugosi as Dracula from he's from the Abbott and Costello movie when he's a bit older ah. which is quite an uh, interesting fact really in that it's it's not that necessarily people associate him directly with that film but it's mm. It's almost it's a bit tragic in a way, that isn't it, really? That <laughs> it's not yeah. actually the movie that he should be remembered for in a way. You mm. know what I mean? It may also be because uh, Lugosi did play other vampires though. So he was in Mark of the Vampire in thirty five, he was in Return of the Vampire in forty three, and Mother Riley Meets the Vampire, which is the next one we'll be doing for you on the <laughs> podcast, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm wondering what Mother Riley gets up to with the vampire. But so he was in like he was it was maybe that was all what happened as well around that time. People just assumed that was like that was a Dracula ish role. So he's just identified with vampires a lot. And and you see he was worried about being typecast yeah is that right <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was it he was worried about that um, so the movie was a big hit um, it was well reviewed and uh, people enjoyed it it, it kind of uh, led to well alongside Frankenstein led to lots of uh, universal made movies mm-hmm. which had a huge impact on horror you know Frankenstein's uh, monster the mummy creature from the black lagoon or Gill Man <laughs> Gilman. Maybe. Oh, Gilman. One of the real, the real icons of, uh, of horror cinema, Gilman. 
Yeah, you haven't seen Monster Squad, Tony. I have, actually, a while ago. Well, yeah, Gil, Gilman is some incredibly creative uh, get-around for not seeing Creature from the Black Lagoon in that <laughs> film, which I love. Um, and uh, The Wolfman. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm also interested about the fact there's no fangs in this. I know we've had this come up a, a few times on the podcast, but I do think it's amazing that you, you identify fangs with vampires so strongly, but until uh, Christopher Lee came along, they weren't really in the movies. And even in the novel, yeah. uh, Bram Stoker only describes his teeth as being very sharp and ivory coloured he never sort of specifies their fangs or particularly used for biting or anything um, and in this movie obviously uh, Lugosi kind of you know, just leers at the camera it doesn't really bite and there's no fangs or anything so I just find that fascinating really that for a huge chunk of time fangs just weren't a vampire thing and, and uh, how, how times change yeah, because you do, like, when you say vampire, the first thing you think is the two elongated incisor, isn't it? It's the first thing in your head. Yeah. And you're right, it's, it's really not something that's, that's that prevalent in a lot of the films that we've seen. Okay, do you want to get on to the R.I.P.? My favourite part. Yes, Dan loves the the R.I.P. Said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I like it, I like it. I might, I might even put some music to this now. Like, it'll be like the, it'll be like the Oscars. <laughs> You know, b- before I looked at the, the notes for this, Dan, I was a bit concerned about the RIP in this one because literally, surely, every single person on screen... <laughs> it's, a long, it's a long segment of the podcast. I'm going to go through the whole cast list. He's dead, he's dead, she's dead, all dead. Uh, yeah, all the animals are dead. <laughs> Everyone's dead. Um, yeah, so we'll start with Bela Lugosi um, as Dracula. So, uh, yeah, he died at the age of 73 in 1956. Uh, he was found by his wife, Hope, uh, on his bed in his underwear. He died in his sleep. So that's very sad, yeah. And he, he was unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> let's start again. He wasn't unfortunately. Hang on. <laughs> he was, uh, I don't know why. It's the addition of the of the the line in his underwear that made me giggle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm sorry. I'm an awful person. Yeah. Well, I suppose you would be found on your bed in your underwear. That's where you'd be most found in your underwear. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, that that little bit of information is like it would be more interesting if he was found in his bed without his underwear. Like, oh my god, yeah. what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they specify that. <laughs> was the underwear the cause of death or something? <laughs> too tight. Okay, so he was um, buried in one of his famous Dracula capes. Uh, the full costume, in fact, including the ring that you see in this movie. Uh, he didn't request this to be done, <laughs> but his son and wife thought it would be fitting for him to be buried like that. So, you know, well, what do you think about that? Would you like to be buried in something that your family thinks is, is suitable? You know? That would be amazing if <laughs> my funeral, <laughs> the kids had just decided, did, yeah. dad, li- did dad like vampires? <laughs> I, wasn't it Frankenstein's he liked? It may have been Frankenstein. Dress him as Frankenstein's monster. It's fine. No deal, no. <laughs> I'm, uh, as we speak, I'm just making a note to self to change my will so I can get that done. There we go. <laughs> do, you, do you guys know the, uh, the the apocryphal tale, though, that he was found dead clutching an Ed Wood script oh, really? for a film that was never made that was called The Final Cut? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 and that's apparently not true. That's an apocryphal <laughs> rumour that went round. No, I don't know what apocryphal meant. <laughs> A myth, a myth, Dan. It was a myth. It's the last time you're coming on here, Tony, with your big words uh, and your research. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've really got to dumb this down. I know, it's terrible. But yeah, that would have been fa- fa- fantastic, I think. Especially in his underwear. <laughs> underwear, scripts, like, reaching, amazing. He's just reaching for the phone to call Ed Wood to make it happen and it just, you know, he just never got there. Also, uh, Todd Browning, uh, the director of the movie, he died in 1962. Uh, cancer of the larynx is what uh, took Whoa. him out, unfortunately. Yeah, he'd had a procedure to uh, try and fix that as best they could back in those days uh, that had left him mute by the time 
of his death, which is not good. But even worse, he'd, he'd been already been living 20 years as a reclusive alcoholic God. ever since his uh, wife died, uh, his wife Alice, in 1944. Oh. Uh, so only about 10 years or so after this movie came out. So it's a bit of a... Shit time. Yeah, terrible kind of demise for him, unfortunately. Um, Dwight Fry, our favourite MVP of Dracula, um, <laughs> as Renfield. So he only lived to the age of 44. Mm. So that's quite tragic as well. Right. So only about uh, just over 10 years later, 1943, he died of a heart attack uh, while on a bus. He was about to star in the film Wilson, which was a biopic of President Woodrow Wilson. He would have played Secretary of War, Newton mm. D. Baker. And I'm just wondering now, do we still have a Secretary of War? Because that's a good job. That's so pretty <laughs> impressive, doesn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't want one in this country, though, given who's in the cabinet. That's a terrible idea. No, not good. Yeah, they got rid of that role, I think. <laughs> <laughs> What's on the agenda today? War. Again? Again? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Edward Van Sloan as Van Helsing uh, he just died at the ripe old age of 81 in 1964 so, what um, about my yeah. favourite uh, Charles K. Gerrard you know the you know, any, any news on him because if you don't tell me that he's not dead I'm just going to choose to believe that he's still alive somewhere doing his, <laughs> uh, his Arthur Askey impression somewhere if you play for time I might always find out <laughs> <laughs> he died in 1969 at the age of 85 aww alright no, I wish you hadn't looked it up now it's just bummed me out he died of uh, gross overacting it says <laughs> was it, but does it say was he found in his underwear or no, any, any update no, on that no it doesn't unfortunately <laughs> I've uh, I've got a few little leftover bits of trivia and just mm. things to add. If that's okay, uh, just uh, throw these in. So oh, hang uh, on, quickly. Sorry, quickly. One one final R.I.P. The the guy who played um, the straight guy. We might have played Harker actually. I can't remember. David Manners. Anyway, you know the handsome yeah, dude. Yeah. He lived to ninety eight. I know this. I know this because I, I happened to stumble on his Wikipedia. He he lived almost the whole of the twentieth century. He died in like nineteen ninety eight, which I thought was incredible. Come on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the weird thing, isn't it? Imagine being alive in 1998 and you were in <laughs> I can beat that. Actually, one of the uh, extra characters in the film was called Carla Lemley, and she was the, the cousin, I think, or, or relation to Carl Lemley, the mm-hmm. producer. And she lived to 104, and she died in 2014. Oh, wow. Oh, God. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Amazing. God, what were they eating back then? <laughs> I need to have that diet. <laughs> virgin blood, by all accounts. Uh, virgin blood, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Iron brew, maybe, was it? <laughs> yeah, so back to the just leftover trivia and bits and pieces so uh, Todd Browning is the off-screen voice of the harbour master in one scene uh, the the sequence of the ship uh, it's not called a Demeter weirdly is it it's called the Vesta yeah that's oh, weird I don't know why they changed that but um, yeah the, the sequence of the ship uh, you might have detected that seemed a bit odd <laughs> it didn't quite fit with the rest of the movie mm. and that's because it was taken from the 1925 silent film The Stormbreaker <gasps> so they just kind of lifted that footage and that's why it looks a bit odd it's interesting because I, I, I meant to mention that earlier I've got that written down because I thought that, that scene looked amazing you know for for everything else that's going on, <laughs> but it, but it does feel so like out of out of time and out of peace with everything else. But I remember thinking, God, that must have cost a lot to build that set and do all that with the water, and you know, I think it looks really cool. But yeah, it turns out it wasn't him; someone else didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, um, uh, Van Sloan, um, he he was not a fan of the movie, uh, even though he'd starred in the direct sequel. He he, he didn't like Dracula. <laughs> he always kind of complained about it. Um, even though he was also in the stage play, obviously, so he does he does like the story, I, I presume. But um, he just didn't like how this movie turned out. In 
particular, he took uh, offence at how they did the uh, reflection scene. Because in the movie, it's like there's a cigarette box yeah, yeah. that has uh, a mirror on there. Uh, apparently, in the Broadway play, they had a really good and impressive uh, visual effect involving a huge mirror, and that was like a, like one of the kind of you know one of the highlights of the play, I think. Mm-hmm. So he just wondered why why did they get rid of that for the movie and replaced it with this ditty little box? And he just thought that was like a bit of a mm. kind of letdown. Uh, one of many reasons, apparently, why he didn't he didn't kind of like this movie. Um, but yeah, never mind. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's everything, really. So we can get on to the vampire uh, power rankings. If you like you, do you want to lead that one? Right, yeah. So uh, the vampire power rankings, yeah, that's uh, a bit interesting one for this film because obviously, you know, this Dracula is so sort of like, he's like the he's like the start of kind of modern vampirism, isn't he? It's kind of what we understand it to be. So it'd be cool to see how many we check off here. So his mm. abilities and skills. So immortality is the first one. What do we think? Oh. Well, this, this is always a weird one, isn't it? Because they never really ever specify, do they, a lot with the immortality aspect. But I, I mean, I get the impression that he's been around for a long, long time. You know, he's, he's yeah. got a castle. You know, he's got to stand for something. <laughs> he bought that when it was brand new yeah (laughs) (laughs) um strength and speed um well, uh, this is an interesting one. What do you guys think? Because I, I don't think there's much there. No, no. no. He's certainly not very fast, is he? No. Especially no. when he's creeping towards someone's bed. Go slow as I can. Sexual magnetism and hypnotism. Well, he has hypnotism, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's always doing that. That's his go-to, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's always getting the uh, little shaft of light across his eyes. And then, uh, yeah, he's often kind of talking to women, isn't he? Telling them things and to do things. And He's like the vampire version of uh, the guy in Little Britain. Look into my eyes. Eyes. Not around the eyes. Look into my eyes. You're under that guy. What about uh, shape shifting? Yep. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. He turns into a driver. <laughs> And a bat. <laughs> I liked uh, the, there's, there's a scene that we didn't really talk about. You know the scene where him and Van Helsing have a standoff and, uh, you know, he kind of hurries off into the night. He basically goes out the back and runs across the garden, doesn't he? Like that. Like, and uh, yeah. off screen, <laughs> we're told that he turns into a wolf. But again, I would I would yeah. love to have seen that film of him just like running away across the lawn. <laughs> he's just going to the front, Dracula. It's, it's all right. But he just runs off across the garden. Anyway, sorry, I, I digress. Yeah. He's our first vampire that turns into a wolf as well, actually, isn't he? Normally, um, we've seen a lot of bats, not wolves yeah. I think did Eddie Murphy turn into a wolf I was just going to say I think Eddie Murphy might have oh, us okay. there this was the problem with uh, with the <laughs> vampire in Brooklyn there was no plot or discernible uh, movie going on but they just threw every piece of vampire lore <laughs> up against the wall so he's got everything that guy he does um, telekinesis no. no no I didn't see anything there um, the power of flight only has a bat yeah, yeah. but I mean that, 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 that counts doesn't it well we'll let that go that's yeah. alright um, yeah. control over lesser creatures um, well he promises Renfield like thousands of rats you know he says that that's what he's gonna that's his reward Renfield's not very good at negotiating if you know if he's willing to curse his eternal soul for an army of rats it's just I I don't know (laughs) I didn't didn't land for me I didn't quite know what he was doing there Um, pyrokinesis no mostly because I don't think the the ability to do those effects in those days I don't think pyrokinesis would have worked very well Um, vulnerabilities and vanquishing so uh, sunlight yeah, but you don't really get a sense of it like powerfully, do you, in this film? Because it's because no. the way the, the film's shot, I suppose. You know, I think Van Helsing he makes the point a few times, doesn't he, that you know we need you know the sun is setting, so we need to be on guard. So I think yeah, the, the implication is there that he's you know mm. the, the Dracula's going to be trapped wherever he is until the sun goes down. But in the book, Dracula's not harmed by sunlight; he's only kind of weakened That's right. by yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in in Nosferatu is the film that actually uh, put across the idea that you can kill a vampire with sunlight. Mm. So that was never in the uh, Stoker book or anything. So. Uh, 
so that, yeah, they didn't, they didn't touch on that much, did they? No, no, there wasn't much of that. Um, sleeping in native soil or cursed yep. earth? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a big yeah. one, eh? Yeah. Apparently that makes him drift right off to sleep the minute he, he lies down in that, which is lovely. <laughs> Can you get myself some cursed earth for the bedroom, actually? That'd be quite good. Um, <laughs> holy objects, holy water, how's he do with them? Well, the, the crucifix yeah. that you see, Renfield has. He's not He's not a fan of that. So is it just Christian iconography that this vampire has an issue with, do we think? Yeah, because like I said, he's got the Star of David, isn't he, on him? So it's like yeah. the Jewish faith does not is not compatible with the uh, the Christian mm. faith is the subtext, I think, isn't it? Um, I don't remember any holy water in no. this. Um, what about silver? Any issues with silver? Well, do you know what? I've got a bit of trivia for this. Oh, oh. good, good. I love a bit of trivia. The silver one, we can now maybe tie into reflections because the idea with the reflections is that the back of mirrors in the old days would have been lined with silver, ah. seen as being like a pure metal. So the whole reflection thing actually comes from the silver angle. So modern modern mirrors don't have silver, oh, but the vampire lore has kept the tradition of the reflection being a, an issue for vampires. But it was always... Um, so the reflection stuff in here, you could tie into the mm. silver if you're being really picky. That's, that's interesting. Okay, uh, beheading. What do we think about it? I mean, every week I think we See this, don't we? It's like that that covers most creatures and things. It, you know, everyone's going to go by beheading, surely. Yeah, I need to see a vampire get beheaded and it, and it not be a problem. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> that all you got? <laughs> yeah, just, just like moving along with his chin on the floor, trying to bite you. <laughs> uh, okay, what, what about uh, invitation only? Well, isn't there a scene where he, uh, someone opens a door for him? But I don't know if it's an invitation. He doesn't say, "Can you let me in?" or something like that, does he? Oh, that's just good manners, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't. I don't think so. What about uh, no reflection? Yeah, that's a big plot point yeah, at the end, isn't part. it? Allergic to garlic? No, mm. but wolfsbane is mentioned. Yeah, they they get um they get a, a, like a wreath of wolfsbane, don't they, for um, Mina to wear at one point, which mm. sounds absolutely delightful. What a, what a relaxing <laughs> way to spend your evening. Eh? What about burning? Nah. No, it doesn't happen, but... Again, I'm sure he, he wouldn't be happy about it. You know, if you set him on fire, I don't think he'd thank you for it. <laughs> you know, he'd just be left running around in his underwear. You know. <laughs> and we know, what that, we know what that leads to. We know what that leads to. <laughs> uh, and the last one is, again, one of my favourites. Can he cross running water? Yeah, well, yeah. He, he hires a ship. ship yeah, <laughs> but it's, remember, it's all about it's all about streams and rivers. You see, it's not not so yeah, much yeah, oceans, uh-huh. but yeah. So I don't think it's a problem. That yeah, is yeah. such a, a a loophole, isn't it? In this rule, oceans are fine, just not rivers and streams. It's fine. Isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At what point does the width of water become a problem? You know what I mean? It's like streams, <laughs> okay? River, yeah. yeah. What size river? Amazon River, Amazon versus the Thames. What you know? What? All right. Overall, then, gents, how would you rate Dracula? as a threat uh, fangs out of five uh, you first of all Tony what do, what do you think I think he's I think he's a three personally because I think he's he's got the deadliness in many ways but he doesn't really put a lot of that across he doesn't scare me <laughs> I mean he might do if I was there <laughs> to yeah. be honest but um, as, as a viewer yeah I'm, I'm gonna go for three fangs yeah, if you wake up in the night and he's like slowly creeping towards you in just his underwear, you know, that, that's yeah. going to be a problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he'd just been in his underwear in that scene with Lucy, it'd be a very, very different scary film. <laughs> oh, dear. Poor, poor Bella Lugosi. I feel, I feel guilty. Not so guilty that I'll stop doing it, but guilty enough, you know. Um, <laughs> Dan, what, what about you? Oh, I was going to say two. I don't know, but, cause, only because uh, we've said so many 
like threes seems three is like the popular choice isn't it because you feel bad <laughs> doing less than three and 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 you feel ashamed to give certain vampires a five because like the eddie murphy one <sighs> technically should be a five uh. in terms of power and abilities but you think oh bring it down to a four so i'm uh, only because i'm getting bored of threes and fours <laughs> i'm gonna say two <laughs> even though he's dracula and that's king of the vampires but he's uh, he's an early version of dracula and i don't think they he's not as threatening as other ones yeah no I, I, am i going to sit in the fence I think I'm going to go with uh, a conservative two and a half fangs out of five. <laughs> uh, for the same reason, it's like, you know, he's the king of the vampires. It's Bela Lugosi's Dracula. It's the, the guy who kind of started what we understand the, the modern sort of Dracula to look like and, you know, set up a lot of the tropes that films have been using for nearly the better part of the last hundred years. You know, you feel like he should be a five, but, um, you know, mm. compared to what would come and what we've already covered in a lot of instances, no, it's a, it's a firm two and a half for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, okay, so that, that's a, that's about it then uh, for our episode on Dracula. I'm sure we'll come to another Dracula adaptation in due course. There's plenty of them to get through. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but like I said, I'm already uh, impressed that we've covered so many Draculae that it's, uh, <laughs> you know, that we've had to come up with that term. I quite like it. Yeah, so I enjoy talking about this movie, though, uh, more than I enjoyed watching it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was still definitely, mm. yeah, it's like, like Nosferatu, though, it's one of those movies that's definitely worth watching to say you've seen it and to try and put your mind, mm. you know, back in time and imagine being in the 30s and what kind of movie were around at that time probably something like Dracula was quite special mm-hmm. and different and uh, even though it seems ridic- ridiculous now you know scary yeah. for those people but it's always worth watching these movies I think and just, and just to see you know the approach that they took and how it's um, how certain things have been borrowed and taken you know and, and improved over the years and as we're doing this podcast obviously we're going to slowly see that evolution and we can kind of like refer back to things and overall by the end of this podcast Hugh we're going to be like experts aren't we on vampires well I mean that, that's the plan there's only another what two or three hundred years before we're at the end of this podcast but given the amount of vampire films that are that are both out and coming out on a weekly basis it feels like since we're after doing this <laughs> well um an- anything else you want to uh, add tony before we disappear yeah i think it's it's a it's a great film in terms of film history and in terms of the history of vampire cinema i mean it's it's hugely important for anyone who's in, interested i think in horror and this kind of film to watch it because it's like you said dan in the terms of the time of, of when it was made it's crucial to how audiences saw these kind of movies and how these this genre developed over the decades to come. So I think it does stand the test of time on a creative level in a way, but I think on another, in, in terms of enjoyment, I think it's it's a mixed bag. I, I know that you can underestimate how important it is and how great Lugosi was in a role. I mean, there are very few actors, I think, that have really cemented a character in the consciousness, even, even if nobody's ever heard of him. Even <laughs> years later, nobody's cemented a character in that way for the whole of, of pra- practically the whole of cinema history. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so important in that sense. It's great to watch, even if I don't love mm-hmm. the film and, and enjoy it in a way it's still re- it's still a really crucial movie so i'm i'm glad we've got to talk about it today Well, unfortunately, that sound means the sun is coming up and it's time for us to close the lid on the podcast kit and send Tony back from whence he came. <laughs> oh, shit. Bye. Uh, but before you go, Tony, before we uh, put the nails in, the, 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 the oh. lid, um, what are you up to right now and where can listeners find more of your work? 
Yeah, so uh, my uh, general uh, web space is culturalconversation.co.uk and uh, you can find lots of things on writing and podcasts and things on there. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at AJBlackWriter, which is where I mainly hang out. Uh, And uh, I also have a book out, which has recently been um, uh, released, which is called The Cinematic Connery, the films of Sir Sean Connery from Polaris Publishing. And so I don't know if anyone who listens to this is a fan of Sean Connery. I don't think he ever played a vampire, but he came close because he did his last movie the league of extraordinary gentlemen he did partner up with a vampire mm-hmm. in mina mina harker at that point i think Hugh's legally obliged to be a fan of sean connery yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's it, it you know it's in our dna we're not allowed to to not be a fan I, i'm very much looking forward to the book tony because i want to uh, see the the huge Thank section you. you'll have done on zardoz so i'm really excited <laughs> about that don't let me down tony well uh, I, I don't know if it's a huge section, but it's definitely a section. Um, <laughs> no stone is left unturned in his career. Um, I can promise you that. So, yeah, uh, that is now available. You can find that on Amazon uh, and it should be in your, hopefully it'll be in your local Wardstones or you can order it and that kind of thing. But if you want a bit more information, uh, check out my website, as I say, Cultural Conversation. And you can find me more generally on We Made This um, at uh, wemadethisnetwork.com where you can find all the other uh, podcasts out there that Vampire Videos is part of. So, yeah. That's basically me. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the book, actually, Tony. I'm uh, joking aside, I am actually a really big Sean Connery fan, uh, and I'm excited <laughs> to see it. So, um, yeah, no, I'll definitely be, um, I'll give you a shout once I've got a copy, because I, I want to dig right into it. Cheers. I'll be picking your brain, no doubt. Oh, lovely. <laughs> and uh, if you want to support Vampire Videos, and why wouldn't you, uh, there's a link on the show notes to our Kofi page uh, to make a donation. It's forward slash Vampire Videos. Uh, otherwise, subscribing, uh, leaving a rating, a review also spreads the word, and of listenership so we'd really appreciate you doing that yeah and remember vampire videos is part of the we made this podcast network so stay tuned for previews of other shows you may like to subscribe to in just a second but we'll be back for more fiendish fun but until next time thanks for listening do you like pop culture and top 10 lists if you do then step inside the den of 10 In the den, we have countless top 10 lists to captivate and titillate even the weariest soul. We've got lists of films. And there's that famous thing about the the scene where he improvised his way through smashing his hand and cutting his hand open on the glass as he banged his hand on the table. Yeah. I mean, you can't really say boo to that. Music. The rest of the song is like just a swirling crescendo of clever songwriting, amazing singing, great drumming, beautiful guitar effects. Video games. And I think that's exactly what happened with Zelda. It was everything looking back is on a much lower resolution to what we see in Breath of the Wild. But as I was playing it, I just felt like my imagination was just going absolutely wild. TV. You know, this is where sitcom verges on the cinematic still in a, in a neat 20 minutes. And the interaction between these vastly different characters is so well realised. And more. Listen to us on all major podcast providers. Find us on Twitter at Den of 10 Pod, where you can like, follow, comment and vote. Or find us on the We Made This Podcast Network at wemadethisnetwork.com. We hope to see you soon in the Den of 10. Hey guys, my name is Tony Black, podcaster and author, and I'm here to tell you about Partisan, a podcast about politics and history in film and entertainment. I'll be joined by guests as we discuss films, TV shows, and maybe a little bit more 
examining political and historical topics, such as how Elvis intersects with black cultural history. In Lerman's film, the idea of the black characters are maybe kind of, they're used as catalysts to basically move Elvis forward in his career. I think that that's how I saw it. The rise and fall of Richard Nixon. It seems to be historians who to agree with this is that he was the first president that really capitalized on the evangelical vote and politicized them. The disturbing class satire in society and much, much more. Partisan is free to download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast app of choice and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at PartisanPod. I hope you'll vote with your feet and join us on the journey.